All right. Um, well, again, I'm Libby Sutherland. I'm a board member here at Mercy, and so I have some board information to update you guys with, if I can, for about 20 seconds. Mike said it should be 23 seconds, no longer. Oh, he's counting. He's counting. Well, as you guys know, we announced from the stage in late July that we were forming um, a search committee, and that committee was essentially writing a profile of what we were hoping for as goal, as far as goals and looking for an, an interim pastor for the next 12 to 18 months in the life of our church. Um, and so that group worked really hard. They came up with a really diligent process to um, start receiving resumes um, and going through those, interviewing, bringing people into our community to just kind of meet them and um, see if they would be a good fit for this really important role in the season of our church, or this season of our church, I should say. Um, and I'm here to update you guys um, that we have offered the position. The search committee made a recommendation to the board the board was thrilled to receive it. Um, and the person who really just soared through the process based on their ministry experience, their wealth of wisdom, and just, you know, an incredible pastoral heart is a familiar face. Um, and so I think we can welcome to the stage our new interim pastor, John Marsden. <laughs> oh, I heard gasp of joy. That was great. Uh, so that was Good job over there. Um, so John is just a tremendous blessing to me personally, and I know many people in our congregation. We were just thrilled when he decided to toss his hat in the ring. I'm having a hard time talking up here. Um, so we're thrilled to make this announcement, make it public information. Um, thanks, John. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Want to preach? Yeah. Okay. He's, he's, we're paying him for this, and now he has to preach for you guys. All right. Thank you, Libby and Mike. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you. I have so thoroughly enjoyed my time since I started. This kind of happened in stages. I would come half day on Tuesdays in June, and then I uh, was asked to, for short-term uh, interim through October. And, uh, you know, I had actually, you know, Sue and I have had a plan to retire from our staff. We founded River Heights Vineyard. It'll be 30 years next year. And we were going to retire uh, March of 2020. Sue is still planning to retire in March of 2020. <laughs> in fact, she teases me one day. I was getting ready to come over here, and she was sleeping in, and she said, this is what next April is going to be like. And I said, well, I don't know what you mean. She said, well, you'll be going to work, and I'll be sleeping in. Anyway, <laughs> I said, well, God bless you. That's, that's, that's great. Anyway, uh, I, I actually turned 70 last Tuesday. I know I, know I don't look it, do I? Anyway, my youngest daughter actually called me. I was in Colorado at a missions conference, and she said, well, happy birthday, Dad. I can't believe you're 70. You don't seem 70. And I said, well, what does 70 seem like? I don't know. Uh, she said, but you're so young at heart. And I said, well, thank you, Anna. That's sweet of you to say that. And I think, I get to go through the 70s for a second time. It's amazing. <coughs> um, but I, uh, so I, I, I did, uh, when uh, we were looking at a, Another person that I thought would have been a really good fit for the long-term role, a friend of mine, uh, I got an email from Libby at 6.50 in the morning. I know you're not supposed to look at emails at 6.50, but I did. And I discovered that it wasn't going to work in their, their, their family. And I initially felt stunned and saddened. And I thought, oh, no. What are we going to do at Mercy? And immediately I felt like God asked me a question, would you work longer at Mercy if I wanted you to and they wanted you to? 
To which I responded, well, you've, you've always led my life way better than I've tried to on my own. So you, of course I would say yes, but uh, I need to talk to Sue because she might have a different perspective. And so I, she comes in the kitchen, I'm making eggs, which I do like five days a week actually. And uh, I said, I had this crazy thought. And so I told her and she said, I don't think it's a crazy thought. I said, well, you can veto it now if you want to and I won't leave the kitchen. And she said, why would I want to veto that? She said, uh, you've always been really good about hearing God's voice, and let's just go through the process and let, let other people weigh in if it's a good thing or not. And if it's a really good thing, then, you, then, then let's do it. And so I am thrilled to be here, and I have so appreciated the wonderful way you all have welcomed me. I've loved working with our great board. I'll use the our and we words now because I'm here with our great board and staff and to look forward to all that God has planned for us at Mercy Vineyard as we go forward. You know, God's got great things ahead, doesn't he? For your individual life, for your family, for us as a larger family, and for people that aren't even here yet. So I've been praying for mercy, and I've had numbers. Sometimes I get pictures when I pray, and I've had a number of pictures. One had a, I had picture of kind of looking at mercy from uh, like a Google Map perspective, the building, and I saw all these people. They looked like ants because it was high up view. All these people flooding to mercy from different angles, and I just thought, oh Lord, you you have plans for many more people to enjoy what you're doing here with us. So I just invite you, pray with me about that. Because I believe God wants things to continue to grow and develop. There's a, a, a really good foundation laid here, and, and God is always building on that foundation. And you know, I, I'll just say this I love Jeff and Q Heidkamp. I'm uh, sad as uh, we are for the things that happened that, that caused uh, Jeff and Q to step away. Uh, I love them. God has great plans for them. He's got a future for them as he does us. And we'll actually have a little night tonight of kind of grief and celebration, kind of processing some of that together. You probably got some word on that. If you didn't, you're welcome to come for 6.30 tonight. Um, but truth be told, every pastor is an interim pastor. I don't know if you ever thought about that. I actually didn't think about that till years ago when it was time for us to transition and turn the lead role of River Heights over to a younger pastor that we'd worked with for 15 years named Peter. And he's awesome. He wanted us to stay on staff. We wanted to, and truth be told, we needed to. We didn't like start our retirement plan like very early. We started having kids early and we had six of them. And whatever reason, they want to choose and food and clothes and go to school and play sports and whatever. So that was, we, we focused our money there. And so uh, we've needed to continue to work and we're glad. And I'll just say this to you, I said it to the board. Um, this, the, the, the blessing of being asked to serve here for however long it takes till the new, uh, more permanent uh, interim pastor. The reason that every pastor is an interim pastor is there's always somebody coming next. You know, that person, I, I was at River Heights 24 years leading it with my wife, Sue, but Peter's next, and it was his time, and we're grateful for a good transition. It's been awesome. Uh, so uh, it's a great blessing to Sue and I that I can be here serving you, and uh, I count it a great privilege, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. We have been sharing these last five weeks on what has God made really important to us here at Mercy Vineyard over the years. We call them our core values. And, and you're going to see there's a, a, a visual slide that will show those. And I didn't realize you can't like read all those words and 
Maybe some of you can that have way better eyes than I do. But anyway, although that's just a picture of our values. You see Jesus at the center, relationship with Jesus and one another. Jesus holds all our values together, and he actually empowers us to express them. And our staff has done, I think, a really great job these last weeks sharing about these. Cassie, who you'll see up here later with the child dedication, she shared about that we are a people who want to be biblically and culturally thoughtful. And then Kelly shared about how important it is for us to build healthy relationships. I don't know about you, I didn't, I grew up in a good family, but truth be told, we had all kinds of elephants under our rugs. We didn't know how to talk about conflict or issues. It's amazing to me that we could even walk around in our house without falling over. Uh, but all of us, by God's grace, came to Jesus, and uh, things changed. So building healthy relationships is so important. Leo then shared about how we can demonstrate God's love in really practical and helpful ways by reaching out and having an outward focus to others. And then last week, Tommy shared that God is real, and, and he is inviting us to experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in every part of our lives. I am so grateful for that. I have the privilege today of talking about what it means to be a God-driven people. So what does that mean? As we think about that, we realize that God is already at work in the world, and he's always working in the world. He's ahead of us. He's the creator. He's the initiator. So when you get up in the morning, he's already awake, wanting to meet you. When you go to work, wherever that may be, whether it's work for pay, work at home, uh, volunteer work, he's already there ahead of you, wanting to meet you and resource you and strengthen you and love you and guide you on your way. He's ahead of us. He's always working, and he wants you and I to partner with him, to join him in his work of changing the world. Isn't that awesome? I, I grew up in a tiny little 365-person farming community, West Central Minnesota, and uh, by God's grace, he had, he had given me different kinds of abilities. So in a small school, you kind of got to do everything. So I played all the sports, actually sang in the choir, mostly on key, uh, played, in the, played in the band, played the baritone. That was like awesome. Uh, well, it didn't start awesome, but it actually became awesome. I enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, a number of people said to me, in our class, you were voted the most likely person to change the world. At that time, I didn't know Jesus, and I just thought, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm confused. I'm lost. I don't know how to have a good relationship or sustain one. I struggle with fear and guilt, like, all the time. I didn't, of course, say that to anybody because I'm half Norwegian. Uh, <laughs> the other half is Irish, so sometimes things do burp out. Uh, <laughs> so if, you, if, you're, if you're with me sometimes, and, oh, that's the Irish side coming out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I thank God for breaking into my life through my sister and good friends that she introduced me to. God is always at work in the world. So you might think, well, wonder what is God doing in the world? Simply, he's doing good. In Acts 10.38, when, when Peter's at Cornelius' house and he realizes, oh, God's doing something at Cornelius. That's not going to come up. I'm sorry, that's, that's just a free one. Uh, anyway, uh, he describes Jesus this way. Remember how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing what? Doing good everywhere and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. So Jesus said, I've come to show you the Father so we know God is always doing good everywhere of all kinds. He's healing people. He's freeing them. He's showing mercy to people. He's feeding the hungry. He's bringing justice and hope. He's doing all these things all the time. 
Now, Jesus tells us how this actually works in John chapter 5. That's going to come up on your screen. Jesus is our model for life and ministry. Paul says in Romans 8 that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn in Greek, I'm going to give you just a tiny Greek lesson because that's all I know about Greek is a tiny bit. Uh, prototakos is the word firstborn, and it means like it's where we got our word prototype. So Jesus is the first one of many more to follow. That means you and me. So Jesus is a true model of life and ministry for us. He says this is how it actually works. He says, my father is always working, so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. It's an interesting phrase. If you can think in your mind back to early chapters of Genesis, when God created the world, created humankind in his image, he gave us a job to rule over the fish and the birds and the animals, care for all of creation. So he gave us a relationship with him, he gave us resources in creation, and he gave us a responsibility. That's the way it was always intended, that he would work, we would work with him. He would initiate, we would respond. And Jesus said in the beginning, what was his first words to his early disciples? Come and do what? Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men or help you catch people. We do the following, he does the making. And in, the, in those early chapters in Genesis, it worked really well until chapter 3. God had said, I've given you all these trees to eat from. There was an abundance and a great variety, no lack. But there's one tree in the center of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one because if you do, you're going to die. Die means you'll be alienated. You'll be separated from God, from yourself, from other people, and from creation. Why weren't they supposed to eat from that tree? I think God wanted a relationship with them. He wanted to teach them what good and evil was. He didn't want them off on their own trying to make their way in life. Jesus gets that, and so he's come as a true human being, and he says, I can do nothing by myself. I'm, a, I'm, I'm human now, so I'm depending on my Father. That's part of what it means to be human. We're dependent and we're interdependent, okay? And so Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself, he says, he only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. So Jesus' model is he would see and recognize, discern what's God doing in the world, and he would join him in that work. And you know, that's what you and I are called to do. When I, when I first heard this idea, it was... Oh, way back in the early 80s, I was in Austin, Minnesota. I was at a healing conference from this funny group called The Vineyard. I really didn't know anything about The Vineyard. I didn't know there was actually a movement. Uh, we had been part of a church that believed in praying for healing. We did it all the time. And I was having a little crisis of faith because I never saw any. My friends would come up and say, hey, I'm hurting here, here, whatever. They'd smile at me. I would smile back, and I'd do my best prayer. We'd both smile, and they'd leave, and we both knew nothing happened. That happened so often, I was at the point where I just don't think I can do this anymore. It's just not fair. It's not honest. It's not genuine. If it really doesn't work, why do we offer it? Now, again, the Norwegian side of me held that in. I never, never told anybody. And all of a sudden, our lead pastor said, we need to train our church in ministry. So we're going to take four Wednesday nights. We're going to train them in how to lead people to Jesus, how to pray for physical healing, emotional healing, and how to, how to help them get free from demons. Four Wednesday nights, church will be good to go forever. 
We were very zealous and very naive. Uh, and he points to me and says, John, I want you to teach on physical healing. I said, why? I know nothing about that whatsoever. He didn't know my struggle. And he said, I know none of us know anything, but I think you should learn. So I came into the reality of the vineyard, honestly, just I wanted to learn how to pray more effectively so people actually could get better, so I could get better as a person. And so I'm at this conference, and the guy's teaching this. And he says, we just need to learn how to see what God's doing, join him, and, and great things will happen. To which, of course, I responded, yeah, that sounds really simple. How the heck do I see what God is doing? <laughs> you know, that's been a lifelong journey. But you know, you can learn and I can learn because God's such a great teacher. And Jesus said, the Father loves the Son, shows him everything he's doing. You know that Jesus loves you just like he loves Jesus. Tommy and I are going to start a series next week from the book of Ephesians. And in the first chapter, it talks about that it was in love that God chose us to be adopted in Christ. He loves you just like he loves Jesus. So he wants to show you what he's doing so you can join him. Uh, following this model has helped me relax when I pray for people because I know a couple things. I know God's been working in them before they ever come and ask for prayer. He'll work while I pray. He'll do something good. I don't know what it will be. I don't know if it's everything they want, but something good will happen, and then he'll keep working with them after I'm done. I don't have to, quote, get her all done, as if I could ever get her all done in my prayers. I just do my bit. So asking regularly, what are you doing, Father, and how can I join you helps me keep on track as I follow and serve Jesus. I would encourage you to ask those questions in your whole life. Lord, what are you doing? How can I join you? Whether it's in your family, with your friends, children, grandchildren, parents, at work, your neighborhood, people you do recreation stuff. God's Because God is always working. He's doing something everywhere, and it's always good. And he wants to let you in on it. He wants you to be helpful in the process. We're asking these questions right now at Mercy. We know God is deeply at work in our community, and we want to partner with him. So what might God be doing in the world today? Well, he's doing good. And you can look at Jesus. What kind of good did he do? He did all those kind of wonderful healing things and calling people and commissioning them. I think as I think about the world today, one of the big things I see God doing in the world is reconciling people to himself and to each other and crossing racial lines, bringing racial reconciliation, bringing unity. He's come to break down every barrier, whether it be an ethnic barrier, an economic barrier, a racial barrier, gender barrier, age barrier. He's come to change lives and families and cities and peoples. He wants to do it through you and me. I just came back from the missions uh, conference in the Vineyard Head, and I saw, I heard stories from every part of the world, and they were awesome. One story stood out to me. It was from Colombia, and uh, they were talking about two pastors who had just been separated from each other, that talked bad about each other, that wanted nothing to do with each other. One of them had been the lieutenant for Pablo Escobar, the drug guy, and he'd come to Jesus, and so he came out of great darkness, and he was still being healed. And at one meeting that my friends were at, in the presence of God, all of a sudden, these two pastors walked toward each other. The rest of the group were wondering, uh-oh, uh-oh, what's happening now? These guys don't like each other. <laughs> and they hugged each other, which was shocking, and then they both got on their knees, and it turns out they were asking each other to forgive each other for things they'd said and done to each other, and that they wanted a new relationship. They wanted blessing in Colombia. And so that kind of thing is happening all over the world right now, and you and I have been given the awesome privilege of being 
ministers of reconciliation, sharing the message of reconciliation. Because Jesus wants us together. We are better together. So you and I have been given a privilege sharing good news, message of reconciliation with people like us. Common language, common customs, way of life, and also with people who are very different from us, who speak different languages, eat different kinds of foods, have different customs. And, you know, in a world that's getting more and more divisive, more and more fearful, more and more hostile, it seems like every single day, you and I have a great opportunity to join with God and build bridges, not walls, to be a people who welcome those who are both like us and very different from us, to make room for people, not push them away. Now, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to love anyone, people who really like me, people very different from me. But the power and love of the Spirit is available to all of us. Uh, I was at that missions meeting because my wife and I have had the privilege of leading a partnership of eight to ten churches that have worked in Mexico for 24 years. And in the vineyard, uh, <coughs> the nations go through a process when they're going to be released to be their own uh, their own vineyard AVC. You need to be self-governing, have a good leadership team. They do. You need to be self-supporting where financially they can get around and do ministry. That's coming. And they need to be self-propagating. What that means is they're planting more churches. It's awesome. There are 38 churches in Mexico, vineyard churches in Mexico right now, and there's probably another 20 that are in the pipeline ready to be planted. It's wonderful. So it's great for Sue and I to be part of this. And we've learned. It's been wonderful to meet friends from a different culture and appreciate them. When our youngest daughter got married, she'd spent a fair amount of time in Mexico. She wanted Mario and Leti Santian, who are planting churches in Puerto Vallarta, where our local church works a lot. She wanted them in the wedding to do the wedding with, and she wanted mom, her mom and I. So I teased her. I said, you're asking four pastors to do one wedding? That will be the longest wedding in the history of the world, Anna. And she said, Dad, it cannot be. And so we worked it out, and it wasn't. But it was an awesome experience for all of us, including some of my nieces and nephews, who right now are not very engaged in faith. But what struck them was the bilingual, bicultural, multi-ethnic nature of the wedding. Can I just say to you, there's power from God when we love each other across ethnic boundaries, so to speak. Isn't that the case? Isn't that the case? That's true for Mercy Vineyard. That's one of the blessings I've experienced by being here. All right. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem and Judea, that would have been their close culture. Common language, common customs, common way of life. But then in Samaria, which was very different. And truth be told, the Jewish people and Samaritans, they hated each other. There was great hostility. That's why people, disciples were so shocked that in John 4, Jesus was meeting with a Samaritan woman. They were shocked that she was Samaritan, and they shocked that he was talking to a woman. That was what the culture was, but Jesus came to break the power of that evil culture and start a whole new culture. Read Revelation 7, 9, where there it says, in heaven, what we'll be experiencing is people from every tribe, every language, every people group, every nation, worshiping Jesus. Great diversity. Great unity. We're pulled together around Jesus, aren't we? That's why Jesus is at the center of our values. He holds us together. He empowers us. Hey, I'm a country boy. 365 people, West Central Minnesota. I'm whiter than white. 
I had the privilege, six months after I was a Christian, to work in Newark, New Jersey, 1968. The riots had hit Newark in 67. In the inner city, things were broken down and boarded up. And we worked with an Episcopal priest who developed an organization to talk to people, and we partnered with churches. I still remember the first day I got to this Episcopal church to find out they have a basketball court. I played basketball all my life, in high school, a little bit of college. And so I'm just shooting, and three African-American young men walk in, and I'm shooting, and I said, hey, you want to shoot? Sure. Finally, one guy said, hey, I want to play you one-on-one -on -one to 21. I said, sure. And so we played, and I happened to shoot well that time, and I beat him by a basket or two. He looks at me and says, I'll see you here at 4 tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought, sure, I love basketball, fine. I'm clueless. I'm a country boy. I have no idea. And the pastor said, you better be here at 4. You better play really well. You better lose. <laughs> I'm and I said, why? He says, well, listen, you're whiter than white. You're whiter than I am. <laughs> and this, you just beat this young African-American man in front of his friends. I said, oh, boy. So I was there at four, and I played well, and I lost. <laughs> and we became friends. And I eventually coached a team that competed in the city. Best basketball team I've ever seen or been part of in my life. Uh, I hope they came to Jesus. I did my best. But it was a great experience for me, being in a totally different culture, being the minority in a culture, and experiencing what that was like. God wants to break barriers. Now, the early church struggled with this. They struggled sharing the good news with people different, even though Jesus had told them to. They stayed in Jerusalem, scholars say, between five and ten years, ministering only to Jewish people. How did they get out of Jerusalem? <laughs> Persecution. Stephen got killed. And you read in Acts 8, right up here, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But the believers who were scattered, that word literally means seed on the ground, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria. Remember the hostility, Jews and Samaritans? Philip went there. <coughs> And he told the people about the Messiah, and the crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Wouldn't that have been an awesome thing to see, be part of? You know, if I was Philip, I'd say, hey, I'm going to start a church here. God's here. He's doing stuff. I want to be with him. Now, that wouldn't have been a bad idea. It just wasn't God's idea for Philip. He had a different plan. And, you know, God loves cities. He loves crowds. He loves families. And he also loves individuals. God wanted Philip to meet a man who was extremely different from him, from a different race, from a different economic level, from a different place in society. This man, the good news was going to touch his life and change him, and a whole nation was going to be changed because of it. We picked that story up in Acts 8, 26 to 40. I'm going to read it and make some comments. I want you to notice, what is the father doing in Philip's life, in this Ethiopian man's life, and how are they responding? Just look at that as I read. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He simply obeyed. He met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. <clears throat> this man was a high-powered guy. He was like the secretary of treasury of Ethiopia. Great authority. 
And he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. Something's happening in his heart. And so he goes to Jerusalem, not Jewish, from a different country and culture, makes the journey because God is drawing him. He was now returning. So he was seated in his carriage. This is another sign. He was a big deal because people walked. Jesus walked with his buddies. You know, Philip walked, but he's in a carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And so he ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah and simply asked a question, do you understand what you're reading? I just love this story because God gave Philip like a step at a time. So the angel says, would you go to this road? And on that road, he meets a guy with a carriage. He says, well, go up next to the carriage, the Holy Spirit says. So he does that. It's interesting. Psalm 119 uh, says this, my word is a light to your path and a lamp to your feet. Now that lamp is like miners uh, would have foot lamps and the lamp would show about three feet of light and so you'd get three feet. When you get the next three feet, what do you have to do? Take another step. Take another step. Now that's the way God has guided my whole life. That's my journey here at Mercy has been that way. I think that's a really good way. I was telling somebody out there, have you ever had the whole plan for God for your life and they laughed and they said no and I'm I don't know if that would be good for me. I might get paralyzed if I knew everything that was coming. But you don't. You get a step at a time. Philip responded to the steps he was led to take. All right, so, <clears throat> so did the Ethiopian. The man replied, how can I unless somebody instructs me? He urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. See, something's happening in this Ethiopian man's life. And Philip is beginning to recognize it and so he just gets in the carriage, and the passage of Scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is Isaiah 53. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same Scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You see, friends, you and I have a great opportunity. There are all kinds of people around us that would like to be connected to God but don't know how. See, that was me as a 19-year-old kid. I needed a better life. I knew it. I didn't know where to get it. And my sister, God bless her, began to talk to me that she had found a better life, hope, peace, forgiveness, freedom in Jesus. And she introduced me to a lot of her friends. And they all said the same thing. So I began to wonder, could this happen for me? People around us <coughs> are all asking these kind of questions. So Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, hey, there's some water. <laughs> you know, I've got to say this to you. I know you're a really smart group of people, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I love thinking and talking. But it's not all rocket science, buddy. There's some water. Can I be baptized? It's as simple as that. He was responding, and he wanted to make a response to Jesus. And so he ordered the carriage, stop. They went down into the water. Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Oh, little uh, something on my bucket list here. Sometime I would like to be snatched away by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know what that felt like, but I'm an old Star Trek guy. You know, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> I wonder what Philip felt like. You know, all of a sudden, comes out of the water, boom, he's gone. And if you look on a map, he's pretty far north from where he was. 
Uh, I think it's, I don't know, I'm kind of weird. I just, I, 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 I think about these things. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Philip, he finds himself in a new spot. Oh, so what does he do? Well, <laughs> he just preaches the good news. He does what he's always been doing in every town along the way. What can you and I learn from this amazing story? There's so many things here, but just a few. One, God loves all people. He loves you. He loves everyone you will ever meet. He loves people that live near you, work with you, go to school with you. He loves everyone you'll ever meet. And he wants to send you and I to help those that he's already working with. So who might God be sending you to love and help? I think it's a good thing to ask. So early on, I was working in business in Burnsville, part of a new church that was starting, and a young couple came with two kids. The guy's name was Glenn. He was a, a sheetrock contractor. And I liked him. And I could tell he was nervous that he hadn't been in church in a long time. So I tried to help him feel at home and realize we were just ordinary folks. So we had him over for dinner and da-da-da. And one day I'm driving to work in the bookstore, and I start feeling this pain in my chest, and I think, oh, no, I'm too young to have a heart attack. Come on. And it wasn't a heart attack. And then I start crying, and I think, oh, I'm, i got to go to work. What are you doing to me? And I felt like I said, I'm giving you my heart for Glenn. And I said, what, what does that mean? And he said, you'll find out. He said, and so I, 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 felt, I started praying for Glenn. And then I felt, I, I should talk to Glenn. So I called him up and said, hey, Glenn, this is John. Yeah. I said, hey, you want to have breakfast tomorrow? Happened to be a Tuesday. He said, i got, I got to get to work early. I said, well, we can found a restaurant. It's open at 6. I'll, I'll be there at 6. Okay, I'll be there too. That started Tuesday morning at 6. 48 straight weeks that year, Glenn and I had breakfast. He had two weeks vacation. I had two weeks, so we couldn't meet then. And we just got to know each other, and we talked about family and God and sports and all these things. One day we're having breakfast, and he looks down, and, I, I, and he didn't look good. I said, what's the matter? I said, is the food bad? He said, no, it's, it's kind of average like it always is. Uh, and then he started crying. I thought, oh, no. I said, Glenn, what's up? He said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm crying. I said, yeah, don't be sorry. It's okay. I cry all the time. But what's going on? He said, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better worker. And you guys in the church, you talk about how Jesus can do all that in your, how he's done that in your lives. Could he do that for me? I said, oh, of course he could, Glenn. Well, how do I get there? How do I do that? And I said, well, you just start. I can just introduce you to Jesus right now. He said, in the restaurant? I said, yeah. I said, I'm not going to stand up and shout and make you embarrassed. I'm Norwegian. I don't do that. <laughs> and I said, but I, I, can, I can help you find Jesus. And so we prayed right then. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he became a different person. One day he asked me, he says, what's this thing called tithing? I said, what? You know, Tithing. T-I-T-H-I-N-G. I said, oh, you mean tithing? He said, oh, that's how you say it? <laughs> he said, I've been reading about that in the Bible, and I, I told my wife, I think we should start doing that. And she said, you don't know what that is, do you? He said, no, I don't. He said, well, you should just ask John. So we talked about that, and I said, well, it's given the first 10% of your money, and God promises to bless and multiply and change your whole life. I said, it's a great thing. He said, you've been doing that? I said, yeah, I've been doing it about 15 years, and it's wonderful, and I'm glad. He says, and so he told his wife, uh, let's start doing that. And she said, you know how much money that is, Glenn? And he said, yeah, I, I can move the decimal point one dot to the left. Uh, I can figure that out. And so they started doing that. Well, they ran out of food. And they have two boys who wanted to eat a lot. And so, and so Glenn said, well, let's, we, can, we, can fat, we can skip a meal. We can eat macaroni and cheese. And the boys weren't so thrilled with that idea. 
And so, but before they had to do that, they got called that day after about a week of giving. Their neighbor said, you know, we're going on vacation. It's a, kind of a quick decision. We just bought all this meat. It's in our freezer. We just, we, it's going to go to waste. So could we give it all to you? Ah, yeah. Are you home now? <laughs> God did that over and over to demonstrate he was real in Glenn's life. And Glenn loved Jesus. About 10 years ago, he was on a boat on Lake Superior that capsized. And Glenn went down. And then Glenn went up to be with Jesus. I was so sad when I heard about it because I hadn't seen him for a while. And I missed my friend. And I said, you know, you're going to see your friend again one great day. And aren't you glad you were just a friend to him? I am so glad. I'm so glad he wanted to be my friend. You've got friends. You've got people all over that want to be your friend, that want to listen to you, that want to experience good things. And you can share those good things. You don't have to be some superhero. You don't have to be some superstar. Just be a person that loves other people. And God will use your life. Now, the story of this eunuch is interesting because he's called the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, that seemed like kind of a, not a very nice thing to say about a person. You know, like, why would you emphasize that aspect of this guy's life? There's a lot of things you could say about him. Five times Luke mentions that he was a eunuch. That says it's an important thing. What's about that? I think this. He had gone to the temple to worship, but he probably wasn't welcomed because according to Deuteronomy 23.1, he was a defective male because he had been made a eunuch. Now, he was a eunuch because he was groomed for administrative leadership and in the courts of, you know, northern Africa and other places where that was done, they didn't want those people distracted. Well, I think that probably worked. Uh, so, he... Uh, he couldn't have gone to the temple and been welcomed. And he was reading the book of Isaiah 53, but you notice three chapters later in Isaiah 56, it says this to the two people who have been made eunuchs. God says, don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children, no future. This is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house, my community, a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. The name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. God loved this Ethiopian man so much that he sent Philip to tell him the good news, that there was a place for him among God's people, that there was a legacy for him. You know, in traditional cultures, the way you left a legacy was you had children who carried your name forward. And if you didn't have children... Man, you were, you were in trouble. You were kind of looked down on in the culture. God says, though you haven't, as it were, fathered children, I'm going to give you a better name. I'm going to give you a memorial better than even sons and daughters. God loved him so much that he wanted to, him to know there was a place for him that he, he'd have a great legacy. Other people around you that need to know that God loves them that he has a place for them in his family, that, that he wants to leave a legacy that they can change the world. Do you need to know that today? There's a place for you no one else can fill here at Mercy. In your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, nobody can fill your place but you. And God has a legacy. He wants to leave a legacy. He wants to touch so many lives through you, more than you could ever imagine. What do you need to do? Just respond to him. Just say, hey, yes. You know, I'm thankful that you're doing good. Do good to me. Do good through me. As John Wesley said, do all the good you can to all the people you can. 
wherever you can, as long as you can. God has the wisdom, the power, everything you need to experience goodness and share goodness. I'm going to take a minute and pray for us right now, and then Cassie's going to come, and we'll have a wonderful opportunity to dedicate children to God's purpose. But as we're thinking about that, this would be a great time to dedicate yourself to God's purpose, to just say, hey, yes, I want your way in my life. Father, we thank you today for the great love you have for us. And even as we read this story, the great love you showed to Philip and to this Ethiopian man. And we thank you that, as history records, the nation of now it would be northern Sudan heard the gospel through this man in the royal court, and it spread through the whole nation. We thank you, Lord, that, that you can do great things through our lives beyond what we would dare even ask or imagine. I ask you that you'd, you'd, you'd do something even today and, and lift our vision that we could see, oh, just partnering with you is the greatest adventure possible and that you could do so much in and through us beyond what we would have ever thought. And Lord, that there's a place for every one of us in your family. And Lord, we ask that you'd give us hearts to love everyone we meet and particularly, Lord, to reach out to those who are from different backgrounds and cultures, ethnicities, that we would be a people that would be united around Jesus more and more and more, and that we would make a real difference in our world. We thank you for all you're doing and all you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.